0: Hello, and welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves.
1: Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy.
0: And I'm Ross Blotcher. And we have a very special guest with us today. We sure do. You're all going to be excited. It is none other than Mike Cleland, a.k.a. Owl guy. Owl guy. Now, welcome, Mike, first of all. Thank you so much. And yeah, thanks for being it, here. I, I think you're the it's, one. I think
2: it's actually, I hate to say this, but it is in the sort of vernacular that it gets used, it is the owl guy. Oh,
0: the okay. owl guy. Oh, oh, fair excellent. enough, fair enough. Uh, just like a uh, smoky bear is not smoky the bear. We want to get that right. Yeah, awesome. We got to get, okay. yeah. So I,
2: the, yeah, he gave up his the and gave it to me. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the owl guy. Excellent. All right. Now I have to ask, how did you get the term the owl guy?
2: I, it just, it just emerged on the scene and people just started referring to me to, as the owl guy. And um, I've actually, yeah, so I'm stuck with it now. It's bad. If you're gonna get stuck with a little moniker, that's as good as any, I think. So.
0: <laughs> that's a good one. I feel
1: like we've uh, been calling you just Owl Guy just naturally. So. Well, from now on, you will but be now, heretofore
0: well, known well, as yeah, so. the Owl Guy.
2: I, every time you say it, it's just like, and it's not McClelland, uh, which you talked about in the other thing. Right. right.
0: I wanted to ask about that. Oh,
2: there's so. there's a that's actually not an uncommon version. There's it's there's more McClellands out there, but somewhere yeah, there bet. was a two clans went at it in the, you know, the Highlands of Scotland. You know, many centuries ago, and, you know, one clan basically chopped off the first two letters of the other clan's name. So, ah, The okay. only one. Part of We're some related, kind of fight. So it, yeah. So, some McClellans and McClellans, and there's about five
0: different variations of the spelling of each. Well, good. Now that we got that settled.
1: Well, why don't you start off by telling us about you, what it is you do, how you got involved in looking at owl lore?
0: Uh,
2: You got six hours? <laughs> yes, we do. Okay. So, I had been working in the outdoor industry teaching. Things like mountaineering and backcountry skiing and traveling to Alaska and rock climbing. And I had been doing that for a few decades. And then at the same time, I was working as a professional illustrator. I had lived in New York as a yuppie at a certain chapter of my life that seems so far <laughs> off in the distance. I can't, it's like, can't even focus that far back in time anymore. But So I was leading this life. And at the same time, I had these experiences as a child and one as a young adult when I was 30. <laughs> and they certainly implied UFO contact. Okay. Mm. And I, I was able to talk about them, and I could sit around a coffee table or sit around the campfire and say, hey, you want to hear an interesting story? And i tell these, like, well, I saw this UFO, and it was really close, and another time I had a missing time event, and, you know, so I could tell these stories. Yeah. But I was, like, I just left it there, I was like, huh, you know, imagine that, you know, what could it mean? Hmm. And I dismissed it, I denied it, dismissed it, wouldn't go there, wasn't gonna go there, wasn't gonna deal with it, and that all changed in 2006. Now at that point in 2006, I was sort of at the place in my life where I was like, I'm gonna have to look into this someday.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: it's not coming up yet, but I know it's out there. And there was kind of this sense of, you know, when the teapot's on the stove, you know, there's kind of this, you kind of sense when the teapot's boiling. It's going to whistle soon. Okay, and that's kind of where I was at. I was like, I'm going to have to look into this. So I went camping with a a friend of mine, and was actually sort of a stranger. Didn't really know her. It was kind of a first date, Ah. uh, Mm -hmm. which is kind of what happens in a little western town. I was living right near Grand Teton National Park, right on the Wyoming border. Oh, it's astounding. Yeah. So, and uh, went into the mountains, and this to tell the story properly takes about 15 minutes. I'll sum it up (laughs) as quick as I can. Okay. We under a, a very prescient moment during a conversation. These, an owl flew over us, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. another owl flew over us, and a third owl flew over us. It was pretty cool. Like seeing these owls, they were close up. They were landing right near us. They were landing on branches near us. They were swooping right above our head. It lasted so you, for a you, few hours. You
0: could see all three of them at the same time, oh, yeah, so you yeah. knew it wasn't oh, yeah. the same there owl. It was a
2: big, wide-open environment. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. Gotcha. This drew your we, attention.
2: It uh, drew my attention. So a few days later, we went camping again, just one night. The first night was without any tent at all. So we just a beautiful night, slept out under the stars, and you lay on your back look up at the big Rocky Mountain stars, amazing. And then these owls would swoop over our faces and just mm-hmm. for just a half a second, the sky would be blotted out. And this owls flying near complete silence and it was remarkable. It was the coolest experience. Mm-hmm. Sounds amazing. So a yeah. few days later, we go camping again and, and uh, let's walk up to the top of that hill and watch the sunset. So we walk up to the top of this hill, we get up there, sun setting and an owl lands on a branch right near, near us. And then a th- second owl lands at our feet and a third owl swooping above us. And I'm convinced it's the same three owls. We were many miles apart from where we were the first time.
1: And this is all at Grand Teton?
2: This was not technically in Grand Teton National Park. This was in the range, the Tetons. I was on the um, National Park side. So I wasn't... Yeah, so I just... Essentially, yes, I was in Grand Teton's National Park, but I was on the opposite side of the line there. So So to have it happen once was pretty cool. And to have it happen twice kind of freaked me out. And I Hmm. kind of wigged out a little bit for the next few years on owls. And so what I what i talk about now and i didn't talk about then is that when i saw those owls both nights both times and these were real owls they were mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. 12 inches tall they were cute they were short-eared owls they would land right next to us it was so mystical to have it happen the second time yeah and then, and, and the, why do you uh,
1: think they were the same owls?
2: Just a sense. I don't know. Okay. I mean, I just my sense is that they were the same. Three owls. They. It, I w- mean, that they looked the same. I <laughs> those three yards. So they. But I mean, I. So yeah. So it, that was there my wasn't
0: sense. a. Oh, I recognized that pattern of feathers. No,
2: I didn't. I didn't recognize that. But they were about the same size, and they were definitely the same uh, species of owls, family of mm-hmm. owls. So what I didn't talk about then, but am talking about now. Both times seeing those owls, I had a distinct. A voice in my head is one way to say it, but it was almost like a powerful knowing. And I was looking at these owls, and there was a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with the UFOs. Oh, okay. And that was palpable, clear, unmistakable. Those blended together. And so when I started researching the owls, I was also researching the UFOs. So I was talking to UFO researchers and asking them, have you ever seen owls?
0: Ah, and I weird. was talking to
2: shamans okay. and asking, have you ever seen UFOs? Okay. What was happening is I was get these answers like, well, that's a good question. No one's ever asked me that before. And I, I do have an interesting owl story. So I started at that point in 2006, archiving, collecting, documenting these owl stories. And then that turned into a blog. And that blog turned into a kind of a magazine length article. And that turned into one big fat book. And then that there's a second book that just came out. So this is now 12 years of kind of obsessive research.
1: How many reports would you say you have now?
2: Well, that's hard to say because I get a lot that I, you know, where people say, like, oh, golly. And, you know, like I drove down the road and I saw an owl and I'm like, uh, that doesn't count, you know. Thank <laughs> okay, you um, for you. And, uh, and then I get other ones where it's like, those are home runs. Uh-huh. And uh, what's 12 times 300? You know, so I'm guessing I'm getting 300 a year for, well, probably more 10 times. 3,000. 3,600. 3, okay. 1, yeah. Okay. 3,000. I'm getting, yes. Yeah, so I'm just guessing it's a little less than one a day I'm getting. Okay. So I'm, say- I'm, huh. I'm saying. It's a fair way to say it that I'm getting 300 really good owl stories
0: a year. Wow. Okay. How much has this taken over your life? Uh, 100%. 100%. Oh, you do this kind of full time now? You are the owl? Yeah. Uh,
2: If you want to, so here's my, if you want to figure out an incredibly quick way to go broke, is (laughs) is to. you Dedicate yourself to UFO research. Yes. So, well, that's not exactly true because I do do other things, you know. So, to
0: yeah, clean the bathroom and
2: so.
1: Oh, what? What else do you do? Oh, oh okay. So, <laughs> I'm still are doing you doing
0: a little bit
2: of outdoor else? work? I'm still occasionally doing a little outdoor work. So, okay. Because gotcha.
0: you'd previously written books on backpacking and camping, outdoorsmanship. backcountry
2: skiing. Yeah. So ultra light backpacking and
0: such. Very cool. And it sounds like from what you're saying that that's often a good way to test out a first date, see if she's interested in joining you for a backpacking trip. Well, it was a culture, you know, that's
2: like being in Venice and saying, you know, you don't want to hop on the gondola, you know, Uh gondola, you know, so, you know, so yes, it was just, it's just simply part of the culture.
0: You're You're a mountain man. You live by the Rockies and now you live in the Adirondacks.
2: Live in the Adirondacks. Yes. Not quite as big as the but um you know for the east coast for something east of the mississippi it's pretty remarkable here
0: because so. if you moved to los angeles you'd have a harder time seeing owls i mean we have and them. that's not necessarily true because there's definitely owls all over the place um obviously yes it's i'm
2: living in a rural place with a lot of trees there's a lot of owls here but there's no problem seeing owls all over the place There, they show up in new york city there's they they're there
1: but you must get more reports from places that there are forests and things
2: not necessarily, no. I have actually, mm. I, quite honestly, I, I have never sort of broken it down that way. Mm. But no, oh, I've gotten plenty from urban environments. And people will, you know, mm. like I got a beautiful one, which is in the first book, where people were coming back from a UFO support group, returning, driving home at night after meeting with Barbara Lamb, who's a researcher and hypnotherapist mm-hmm. on abduction experiences. Two people in the car, both experiencers. They're talking about God while driving in the car. And at that moment the subject changes to God. Boom, an owl flies right in front of their windshield, right scares them, and they look at the clock and it's eleven eleven. Yeah. Now, this is you know, so I'm gonna I have to feel like I have to like I'm a little against the ropes right now because you did the uh you you uh <laughs> You've heard our my coverage. presentation. Yeah. You reviewed my presentation at the Ozark Mountain uh, UFO festival, which was mm-hmm. right about a year ago exactly right now. Yeah almost. Yeah, so and I was kind of like what happened was You sent me a little thing, said, Hey, you want to be on our podcast? And I was like, Sure. And then I, you said, Oh, we reviewed your thing. And I like said, I said yes. And then I listened to to the review and I was like, Hey.
0: Right. I, you
2: were, it was, I felt like it was like I had to, you know, so part of the reason I'm here is a way to, is, is to, you know, defend myself a little bit because I felt you were a little judgmental about my, methodology I don't pretend that's that's fair
1: and I mean that's part of why we wanted to have you on so that you could make your case yourself instead of just coming to by
0: all means yeah I had originally sent the message to you and you you took note of this I made sure it was going to get to your inbox at exactly 333 you didn't do that did you? I did. Oh, you <laughs> Cause, did? Because that's
2: the first thing I said is, hey, look at the thing. So
0: I had my email ready and then I pasted it in and sent it at 1233 my time. And I was already, you had sent the response and I was already to follow up again at, I think it was going to be 1234 or something. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then I saw, oh, he responded and he's now listened to our coverage. So no one had sent it to you before then.
2: The first time I heard it. Yeah, That's
0: okay. It.
1: And then I wrote back to you, and I did not plan this, but apparently I wrote back to you at four forty four.
0: And and you said that is not significant, by the <laughs> way.
2: <laughs> I don't
0: get to. I mean, it's. I mean, I, you, know, you sort of listen. I'm in like this.
2: I'm swimming in the waters with like UFO experiencers and and people on you know the that edge of the continuum. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. So but it is like, a,
1: a little telling right that ross could just manipulate the situation hold his email and wait to send it and then it comes in at 333 could some of the people who are sending you these experiences be doing kind of the same thing where they're maybe they're seeing an owl and they're adding detail to it cuz they're like oh, oh my god oh, we sure. like this yeah. and they're kind of playing along
2: oh yeah and i and i and i'm a, so absolutely yes i mean a fisherman goes out and comes back and talks about their fishing day you know the, they're going to talk about a great big fish that might not have absolutely. been as big uh-huh. so so uh, totally yes this is the waters are full of frauds and and i will say you know this within this research and you'll meet them at ufo conferences there's mentally ill people and Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's a snake pit Mm -hmm. what i do in the research is like i can't i'm not giving people lie detector tests i'm not all i can do is you know see what patterns emerge sure Mm -hmm. if i hear a handful of stories that have the same flavor i pay very close attention if there's a one-off I'll say this is a one-off. I have no other story that matches this one. Mm-hmm. And I'll make sure to say that. And if anything else, you can be assured that there's, I'm picking one story that represents, um, you know, a file folder full of similar stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like,
0: and I read your book, The Messengers, and you would mention oftentimes because you'd talk to people who were, say, animal psychics and people who are shamans and people who do voice analysis and take audio and mix it back and forth. And you would contextualize that. And some you seem to take with more of a grain of salt than others. But yeah, I, I was interested in hearing more about how you kind of draw that line, the threshold of, of what is significant.
2: All I can do. I mean, so I said it before, and I'll say it again. like I, So I had a, a guy who contacted me. And he does his own research, He's, and I, I'm not going to choose not to give his name here. And he kind of gave me a hard time. He said, "I'm your research is driving me crazy. You are not scientific in your research." <laughs> and I got right back to him, like, "What do I care? I'm not a scientist. Sure, like mm-hmm. who says I have to be scientific? Where's the rule book that says I have to be scientific? And how I? These are my experience. This is my journey. I'm not documenting scientific data. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be peer reviewed. I don't care about that. I am documenting my own experience, which has been." I mean, I've lived a normal life, and then something happened. It all flipped upside down, and I have been invaded by this synchronistic magic. I recognize the difference between my previous life and this new life. This new life is hard. It's challenging. I'm broke, but I have been—I am rubbing elbows with amazing people, and there is a sort of magic in the air to all this, Mm -hmm. in the the quality of the synchronicities. So that is what I am sharing. That is my presentation— I try to do it as honest as I can do it, and I try to back it all up with—so the way—here, so your your question was, how do I differentiate? You know, Mm -hmm. the the answer is I don't. Like, I'm all—like, if you went in a time machine and said, let's go back to Athens and study, you know, the source of mythology, right? So you're going to go in your time machine. Are you going to, like, walk into, like, some marble— building with big columns and talk to like learned scholars with their scrolls and stuff like that you know what's the fun in that you know no you want to like meet the guy with his like hair blown back and a wild expression who's just like staggered off of mount olympus and is you know is is got the first-hand experience to tell of what what's going on sure. that's where i'm at you Guess know I that's did the oracle at delphi
1: um, well, it's interesting because you're not archiving every story you get. Like you said, oh God, there's, no. there are some that you're like... Um, I don't think know.
2: there's enough bandwidth on the, on the World Wide Web for that. <laughs> Fair
1: enough. But also, you know, you said like someone just sees an owl stuffed animal or something doesn't mean anything to you. Fair enough. An owl
2: purse. Yeah, owl purses don't...
1: Owl pur-
2: <laughs> Exactly. <laughs>
1: but but then in a way, aren't you kind of using a little bit of science and then kind of cutting it off at a point? Because you are using these objective standards and saying, uh, you know, if an owl just shows up... In the culture, that doesn't mean much. Um, no, I'm, yeah,
2: I'm using subjective standards. I'm, I'm being subjective. I'm not being, I'm not being objective. I'm like, I'm making, you know, gut decisions in the moment that aren't based on, on right. those are based on my own, you know, intuitive, you know, like, you know, where the, where the I'm being pulled, you know, like I'm, uh-huh. yeah, so but, I'm following but, my instinct, not my logic.
1: Okay, all right, fair enough. But you are like using a standard of does this really seem relevant. And I guess I'm wondering, like, so where does that begin and end? I mean, do we all just trust our guts about that? Or is there any role for science and observation to play in this?
2: Sure. You know, I like to be kind of buttoned up in the way I present it and and Mm -hmm. be clear about my methodology which is just me wrestling with the data you know Mm -hmm. like basically i get a really good story i'm like ooh, i gotta write this up i think you are i
0: don't think anyone would come away confused after seeing you either present or after mm -hmm. reading your book and not knowing that these are subjective reflections and a collecting process of archetypes of stories
2: yeah yeah so so here's here's an example and this is this is sort of a rebuttal to the uh, podcast you did a close to a year ago now so there was a point in the podcast and I like I've given this talk a few times and I feel like I I'm a, I'm an actor on the stage, right? So I'm performing mm-hmm. a little bit and I'm go I'm doing it for impact. And this is true. This is straight up true. This is so I the it's 2000. It's the you know, it's this part of this new world history and I have an iPad and I can get on and get a Kindle version of one of these books, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I don't have to wait. I don't have to go to a library. I don't have to wait a week for it to come in the mail. I can just push a button. Minutes later, I can have the book in my hand, and I can I can search it. And the word I want to search is owls, so I get a I get mm-hmm. a UFO book. You know, it's nine bucks or something, and I search it for the word owl. And what I found is that yes, a whole bunch of other words come up. Mm-hmm. One of them is knowledge. Now, mm-hmm. I'll just go through and you were I'll say, I was like, when I was listening to your podcast, I'm like, these guys are being snarky. They were like, they didn't get what I was saying. They're like, well, other words come up. And like, of course I know other words come up. But what I was saying is the word that comes up a lot is knowledge. So this uh-huh. is not empirical, like how many words in the dictionary have O-W-L in them. Mm-hmm. This is my gut the word knowledge comes up and you do the little swipe thing on your iPad. Well, I got to just move past that. Oh, there's knowledge. I got to move past knowledge. I got to, I'm trying to find owl. Got to move past knowledge. Sure. And that, that became a metaphor. Like I recognized it. I'm like, holy crap, this is, if this was written into a script, right? And I was at the script writing table, you know, for some, you know, Hollywood, you know, TV production crew. And I was writing the script of some paranormal show and I included this, the producer would have every right to come into the script room and give me a talking to, like, "Uh, Mike, that's a little corny, right? You're going over (laughs) the top, you're being too obvious. So I'm moving past knowledge, and I've given this talk before, and I'll just give it, this is is how I say it. So I move past knowledge. I move past knowledge, I gonna do my drama voice now. I move past (laughs) knowledge. And I realize this is a metaphor for my journey. I am trying to move past knowledge and trust my heart. Okay. Because if I trusted my knowledge, if I trusted my intellect, I would figure out a way to deny all this. I would turn my back on it and say, owls and UFOs are not connected.
1: I think that's right, sure. Mike.
2: But well, I but it, I trusted my heart, and I proceeded forward on this journey.
0: Okay, well, you've just kind of demonstrated for us sort of a, the path that you took there of the associations. But one could also point out that knowledge, you know, in a book about... Aliens or, or wisdom or whatever it may be is going to be used more than, bowl. say, the word bowl or cowl or something like that. It's, it's a common term. If the, if the word power With- had, if it was powler, that would have come up a lot, too. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then we could make a deep connection about the relationship between power and, and owls. But
2: I'm saying what I had, the experience, the direct experience I had is like, hey, I got this cool thing. I mm-hmm. can look up the word owl. And what I ended up doing was moving past, moving past knowledge, moving past knowledge, moving past knowledge, moving past knowledge to find the owl. And that was just a playful little sure. a, a little thing that oh, I yeah. recognized in the moment.
0: That's fun. Yeah, we agree. <laughs> but, yeah, maybe our, our determining of significance of that would be – our threshold would be at a different yeah. level. I, I guess I'm yeah, thinking I'm, like
1: if I... but this my is,
2: – this isn't your journey. This is me. Sure. <laughs> this sure. is my journey. Oh, of that's fair. It was significant to me, and that's all I can say. So sure. there's, Yeah.
0: Totally fair. Well, what other critiques or responses do you have to our coverage? We definitely want to hear that, and I know our audience does.
2: Oh, what was there? Was one other thing? I, I mean, there was. A, I mean, I could kind of go point by point, but I think that was metaphorically. Oh, you know what you did? So you said I told a long story about my my partner Andrea and and uh, this uh, the owl oh, she with the sort of download, right. and she saw the owl in the yard and everything like that. Right. And yeah, that was all. You know, what's it's you could dismiss all of that. I'm saying that in real life, this is what happened. This is you know that to me. It was significant there was Mm -hmm. the same night she reads the thing in lisette larkin's book which is a similar story about a hawk it's not an owl but it's a hawk but it's a similar account and then anyway where was i going with this oh so i finished that whole thing boom that whole section is over Mm -hmm. and then as a little punctuation thing right so i did it a few times a funny little joke sort of a little made, meant to be funny mm-hmm. and short, like I didn't spend a lot of time on it. I'm spending more time on it now here, is I put a little slide up on the PowerPoint, and it showed a little baby owl, and it said, owlet. Mm-hmm. And I said, in the dictionary, a baby owl is an owlet. Oh, And that's the next right. slide is, that spells owl, E-T. And then I moved right on to, to the next thing, and that was just meant to be funny. Okay. Okay. So you were treating it like it was like, wait a minute, like it rhymes a with a serious set.
0: point. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And um, then I also... Well, I got to say oh, go that
1: does seem on the same level as looking for owl in the word knowledge. Like it does seem about the same level of relevance there.
2: And I think in in the talk, I, I, I'm certain, I've given this talk many times, I don't have a recording of this talk. And so I usually say something to the effect of, you know, this is more of an insight into how my mind works rather than the deeper mysteries <laughs> yeah. of... You of, definitely of, yeah. said phenomenon.
0: that for... JK Rowling. Rowling. Yeah. yeah so you... I do,
2: yeah, and, I, and once you say it once, you don't need to say it again. Well, like when I said that, which is actually interesting because I, I kind of amended that now because I wrote a whole chapter about Kenneth Arnold in my second book. Oh, There's a whole chapter on, on Kenneth Arnold, the fellow who inadvertently coined the term flying, flying saucer saucers, in 1947. Right. And he had a pet owl. hmm And that was the start. That was the only owl reference in his, but I just thought that was amazing. For me, that was when I heard that that Kenneth Arnold had a pet owl. I called his daughter. I did a formal interview. I've since talked to his granddaughter and done a, you know, and so there's a wealth of material out there and there is so much weirdness associated with Kenneth Arnold in his story. Mm -hmm. Enough that it worked just beautifully to be a chapter in this book.
1: Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hang on there, Mike. We have something very important to announce.
0: Very important.
1: Almost as important as seeing an owl. It is a jumbotron. A
0: jumbotron?
1: Yes. And this one is for Justin from Sam.
0: And Sam says, Happy birthday to Justin, my wonderful, funny, amazing husband and partner of 20 years.
1: 20 years, Ross. 20 years. That is a long time. He says... You introduced me to Ross and Carrie years ago, and I've loved them since, but I still love you more. Rude. Rude.
0: He does say sorry, and Yeah, then I mean he says sorry, Kerry.
1: Ross and Carrie, but I don't accept.
0: Yeah. Enjoy your year of being the ultimate answer to life, the universe, and everything.
1: Love your spouse, Sam. That's really sweet. Oh. I forgive Sam for what he has done.
0: That's very magnanimous of you. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Anyway, you were saying, Mike.
0: I think one of the points you're making is that oftentimes we were treating something that you had said as, as sort of a, a quick aside and something intended for humor, and we were taking that more seriously and literally. That kind of leads to another question I had, which is, how do you avoid putting more owl puns into your talk? Because I think we, <laughs> yeah, would, we we're both puns waiting for this. Mean, puns. puns. I'm
2: very cautious about puns. <laughs> yeah, so I try not to use puns ever. Uh, <laughs> really. Oh, yeah. I mean, just as, yeah. All Unless right. it's a really good one. but um, You're classier you know, than we are. We agreed you know, with of the you reason... on
1: everything until you said that. <laughs> until you went against puns. We're very pro-pun.
2: Okay, well, what's the problem? So if you, Kira, you, you write a book about owls. You write two books about owls. And then what happens is you start getting... All your Christmas cards have owls on them. These oh, people right. give you coffee cups with owls. Oh, you should yeah. see our magnets on the refrigerator are all owls. we got owls on the mantelpiece. <laughs> I've got probably two or three little toy owls in the room here with me. And those, I didn't buy any of those. They just kind of arrive. Like, oh, here we go. Like well, an owl. We're going to get you this owl. Owl uh-huh. cupcakes. And... Oh, yeah.
0: So... Um, That that happens to anybody. As soon as you get associated as the person Uh who likes X, everyone gets that for you. My uh, stepmother had to put a moratorium on hippos because she mentioned once like, oh, I like that hippo. And everyone just bought her hippos for holidays and birthdays for the next 20 years. Understood. So you are now the recipient of many owls.
2: Yes. And I'm, and in the number of times people say, like, yes, who, you're like making hooting jokes and stuff like that. Oh, sure. of course.
0: So, but that's a testament also to. Who would to, do that? <laughs> I, uh, yes, that's guess. that's a testament also to just how replete our culture is with owl imagery and how often owls play into so many different parts of our culture from Harry Potter to Sword and the Stone.
2: Because they're in the book. They're in the book. They were in the slideshow. They were side by side. Yeah. All over
0: the place. Right. But what are the most annoying emails you get from people pointing out, I assume you? You probably get emails all the time about Whitley Strieber's book and Twin Peaks and the Fourth oh, Kind. The twin.
2: You know, there's not really annoying. It's not so much annoying, but it's more that I have to go through. So yeah, so I try to address those in I address those in the first book. I just got done earlier today. I did a podcast with Whitley Strieber. Very oh, different wow. tone than this one. Yeah, it was wonderful. He wrote the foreword to the second book, and he's been incredibly supportive of I my work. I love Whitley. Yeah, he's a he's a remarkable gentleman. So it's not so much that I'm annoyed, but it's you know what I get more of his owl pictures on Facebook, <laughs> oh, okay. and um. Well, so, so, so do, do we, we now? now. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I multiply that by a million, and that's I'm what I'm sure going that's through. true. I yeah, bet. So um. Yeah, and, and my partner Andrea will be saying, "Oh, did you see that owl video?" And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I got it like 20 times on Facebook."
0: <laughs> yeah, it feels like we recognize this because we get sent these things all the time about a variety of subjects mm-hmm. that we've covered. I I assume in your mind well, there must be this like need to st- kind of stay on top of all this so you can say yes i already saw that national geographic video of the owl swimming down the river yes i'm on it <laughs> yes it. i've
2: seen that a few times yeah that cut yeah I, which i like that video and once was enough to watch it but i like <laughs> it <so. laughs> yeah and then um and then walking down a main street you know Oh yeah, on the main street of our town here and it's just like you peek in the window and there's like, you know, owl lunch boxes and there's a picture of a owl on a calendar and then there's like a little owl on a sticker and and so I walked on the street with people and they're like, oh Mike, look an owl and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah and so and that's you noted like things yeah, you used acted all sad when I kind of, you know, had to give you the stern talking to when you like <laughs> I signed the book and you said there's an owl purse uh, in the in the gift shop and I'm like, "Uh, yeah, well, you know, so I get that a lot where, right. you know, what what can it mean?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't know. I mean, I've got some stories that that are long and complicated where things like owl purses do play a role in it, but hmm. But yeah, you have to be I mean that's it's right up there with dog cats and horses as right. far as like the yeah, number Yeah, exactly. Big, I mean, I'm a big
1: on. big big pigeon fan and I'm always looking for pigeon stuff. I'm wearing a pigeon shirt right now. She is. <laughs> but it's really hard to find pigeon stuff cuz they're not beloved. Whereas the, the owl- The dove is.
2: The white dove is, which is technically a form you're of are right.
1: You're right. But whereas the owl is just everywhere. Sure.
0: That's like, uh, I'll go with my wife to Disneyland, and she's a big Donald fan, and there's just not as much Donald merchandise. Mm-hmm.
1: Or, or Daisy. As Poor there's Daisy. for other
0: characters. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of one of those things. It's an availability thing. Uh,
1: but you mentioned owl pictures, and that brought to mind one thing I wanted to ask you, which is all these people are sending you- Tales saying, "Oh, just as I read your book, an owl passed by the window, or whatever." And I, I kept thinking, like, oh, come on, we all have phones now." Um.
2: <laughs> I got a lot. Of, I've got a lot of owl pictures. Well, we and, just, know, they're not really that interesting. You know, okay. Sorry, they're, they're, I was laughing
0: because we just we just burst out laughing because I got a notification on my phone. I was looking at my notes for this talk, and it came down with the Los Angeles Times it says, "Bad news for night owls." It's just it's hilarious. We're talking to you, and up comes night owls on my screen
2: there's a uh, yes this is i mean oh god that happens to me so much i and you know it's funny when i uh, the synchronicity there's an interview in the book with a, a fellow which is a great interview and i'm and it's a really powerful important moment in my life in a way to talk with this guy because he kind of validated a lot of the things i was dealing with this wonderful guy named dr kirby surprise who, who's in san francisco he wrote a book called synchronicity and it was him in a way that that i said, like, listen, I'm I'm doing this owl research, I'm doing this owl and UFO research, and I am getting so much like, owl shit. S- like reverberating feedback coming through through synchronicities. He said, I am not surprised. You are putting the energy out there into the universe of owls and UFOs. The universe, this is, I'm paraphrasing, this other person, he told me, the universe is a, is just a giant mirror. It will reflect back at whatever you project into it. You are projecting owls and UFOs. Both of those are highly charged. One is a highly charged phenomena, the, the UFO. The other is a highly charged mythic animal, the mm-hmm. owl, not like a bunny or something. And so you are putting that energy out there. But you should expect that it reflects back to you. And it was a really great sort of calm me down a little bit because mm. I was kind of freaking out at that point in my life. I I
0: think we would agree on the end result, but but I might suggest the effect of just heightened awareness. So if I buy a gray Prius C, which I happen to drive, I now see them everywhere. They're everywhere. And it's a very common car, but I'm especially attuned to it because that's the one I drive. Absolutely.
2: Yes. And that's another thing. Yeah, that would be the perfect example. I mean, I've talked to, you know, husbands and their wives are pregnant and they walk around you know, and they're like, "Oh my god, every woman I see is pregnant now." Was well, this always <laughs> like this? No, there's just a heightened awareness, but that heightened awareness has a power, you know. So there, mm. during this level of heightened awareness, I was receiving amazing stories, and I. But so you I also to, kind
1: of put out a casting call for those stories, Absolutely,
2: right? I'm not objective. Yeah, yeah. I am subjective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what well, didn't? Yeah, so I'm I'm asking for it and I'm receiving it. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You could almost do a little experiment where you now just say, oh, you know what? I think squirrels have to do with UFOs too and just see if you get— I do. There are some squirrel
2: reports. I got a lot oh, okay. of squirrel reports. <laughs> okay, there you go.
1: And see if you get a bunch of replies with that. It seems like you might be able to manipulate the process.
2: Yes, but I'm—but the reason I started on this journey— was because I was hit with so many owl sightings. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned a connection already between God and owls that when important conversations were being had about God, that owls showed up. We've also heard about the owl... UFO or alien connection is there kind of a theological underpinning that comes with this that connects functionally what is that connection
2: you know this is this shows up really thick in the second book I did not plan it okay mm-hmm. my sense is and I and I say it you know just a few sentences in the in the conclusion of the second book there was so much in the way I refer to it as Christian imagery showed up in this first book and I you know, like, I'm, I'm looking for this stuff. Like, I'm the guy who, like, watches 2001 A Space Odyssey and is looking for all the quirky connections to, like, you know, what this really might mean, what's the symbolism, what's hidden here, what's hidden there. So my, I'm, my radar's up for that kind of thing. And I, this came out of the blue. I did not expect it. All this Christian imagery, and I'm calling it hmm. imagery in the sense, and I say in the conclusion that, like, in the West, that's the core of our Western mythology it's not, you know, ancient rome, it's not ancient greece, it's not it ancient egypt. Mm-hmm. our mm-hmm. present mythology is the bible, right? There's all the stuff that shows up in our, you know, there's little phrases we use and and there's a church on every corner and there's people sort of right. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of energy put into that. So it's that's the that would be our modern equivalent to our mythology in some ways is the christian imagery. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, here and and it showed up all over the place in the book and shocked me. Now, and just, uh, and on some of it was just some of the people I was working with were devout Christians and sure. they, we were working with to tell their stories. But
0: what is that connection though? Like, I happen to have been raised say, on the Bible and I, I remember owls being described as unclean animals. Uh, yep,
2: it's in there as unclean, yeah. As I don't remember them
0: figuring too much into any narrative though.
2: They don't, they don't figure it all into any narrative. So there's no connection between owls and the Bible in any meaningful sense. They get Mm -hmm. mentioned a few times. Mm -hmm. The connection, I think, is the highly charged moment. That's, for me, is the connection. Mm -hmm. So that people are talking about God. They're not talking about, you know, baseball. They're talking about God. They're talking about something highly charged and an owl shows up. That's what I pay attention to. And that's, I refer to those as highly charged moments. People at funerals, that's a highly charged moment. Mm -hmm. You know, that's people see owls in these environments.
0: So if I'm out, let's say I'm out in the woods having a deep conversation. It's a highly charged conversation. What functionally is happening? Am I putting energy out? And who's aware of that? Is God aware of that? Is the universe aware of that? Aliens uh, tuning in? Do you have any kind of grasp on functionally what's happening? Functionally, I have no grasp on it. Like,
2: who knows? Like, um, this is like, I'm not how am I supposed to answer that? What I can say is that it happens. Right mm-hmm. this is this is what I can say is that so I mean I get all these stories people like oh I was walking through the woods and I was with my buddy and it was night. We were walking this path that just connects the two neighborhoods. And it was, and we were talking about UFOs. Yeah, we were talking about UFOs. And I remembered Mike Clellan and his book. And, and I said, you know what would be really weird? We're talking like, oh, God, all of a sudden we're talking about UFOs. What if an owl hooted right now? Boom, right in that sentence. As soon as he finished saying it, an owl hooted right from the bush next to him. <laughs> cool. Like felt like it was close enough to touch. So that I take seriously, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's a highly charged moment in the sense that they're talking about a powerful Mythic thing like a UFO.
0: Now, have you ever noted an important moment where you are having a conversation? You think, "Oh, I bet an owl would come right about oh, I think now." I it all the time, but I then I it doesn't. It the do oh
2: God, it never, it never happens when I want it to. Yeah. So, I mean, oh. I think about when I, you know. So I know. If it, I, I think about that. It's actually funny you ask that because I do think about that. It's like now is cue the owl. When's it? Where's it coming? And then and it I, doesn't. You know, I'm sadly left
0: lacking. So,
1: yeah. do you archive those moments? No, I don't. Hmm.
2: Okay. okay. It's not like baseball where you like, you know, where you keep statistics and everything.
0: I'm curious because you are an experiencer. You've had experiences with aliens.
2: The way I phrase this, mm-hmm. I call myself an experiencer. I even use the term abductee very grudgingly okay. because I've had the experiences like if you put a puzzle on the table and you put all the pieces together and there's some pieces missing, you don't have to step back very far to go, "Oh, that's a sailboat on a lake." I can just see it. It's sure. a sailboat on a lake. I'm at the same point right now. Like I don't have all the pieces but Mm -hmm. I feel like I can step back and go, oh, it's not a good feeling to say this, but I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, I feel like I have had... UFO contact experiences. Okay, so
1: unpack that metaphor for me. Do you have a piece of a memory of being abducted, or it just does it just feel like oh, because of how my life's gone, I must have been? No, I
2: have missing time in association with a bright flash in the sky.
1: Right, the orange thing. When the orange you...
2: thing. The orange sky lit up orange okay. in 1974 when I was 12 years old. A missing time. Arrived home. My parents were angry at me. I was two hours late. I've told this story so many times. I could mm-hmm. just I kind of I... go on autopilot. So I no, think it's okay. unfair. Okay, read it in your book. Say. Yeah, and then I sat up in bed in the middle of the night and looked out the window, and there were five gray aliens walking towards the house, backlit by a brightly lit light. Mm-hmm. I had, at the time, I had the voice in my head that said, oh, yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. Mm-hmm. Once again, I've told this story a lot. but mm-hmm. And this, now I dismissed that, but uh, what came with that, which, I, which you can't talk about in a, presentation because what came with that was this hyper clarity that was dreamlike but it wasn't a dream this hyper clarity Mm -hmm. there's this palpable sense that something is is not normal like i i've stepped out of the boundaries of normal reality i felt that in the in the follow-up this is getting 25 30 years ago now that in the in those decades i have talked to a lot of People have had the experience, and this is part of it that doesn't get talked about. Sometimes it's referred to as the Oz factor. But that otherworldly, eerily quiet moment, and I have since had that several other times. There's an event where I talk about it in the show where I I drew an illustration of it where I'm floating up. So I have the sensation of rising up, floating, Mm -hmm. this elevator up feeling, and I pass through the roof of the tent.
1: I remember this Mm -hmm. from your talk, yeah.
2: And in that moment, I couldn't include this in the talk. In that moment, I had the elevator up feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's also had this, the exact same sensation Mm -hmm. of being in, uh, of of that uh, event, looking out the window in Maine in 1993. Hmm. Now, it's happened a few more times. Once in a dream, which was very telling because it was a UFO dream. So, here I'll tell the stream. This is, this is, it's included in my website and it's not included in the book anywhere. Hmm. Um, I'm camping in the mountains and I have this dream and I'm at my brother's house. My brother doesn't have anything to do with UFOs. So, this is him. He's like, but my brother kind of said, you know, Mike, I got this thing in the garage. You might want to see it. I've been doing this government work. Here, come here. Let me just, I'll show you what it got. Hmm. So I walk into the garage and there's a flying saucer, like partially dismantled, like up on blocks, you know, like an old Volkswagen or something. And, <laughs> and it, like, oh my God, where did you get this? And he's like, ah, some guy had it and he didn't want to keep it anymore. And he says, oh, but if you get too close, it distorts reality. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? So I walk <laughs> up to it. It's like I Sphere walk in it, Michael Crichton's book. Ex- I, 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 I walk up to it and it, it, it it I experience the exact sensation, palpable sensation, it's unmistakable. I back away, and it goes away. I walk closer to it, and I can experience this. So I was in this mode where I could control it.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Oh, weird. How how big was this thing?
2: Not very big, about the size of a van.
0: Okay, yeah, that's uh, pretty big. That's good size. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I've I mean, actually—it
2: wasn't a, you know, it wasn't the mothership basically.
1: Well, I've actually had that feeling too—the elevator up feeling. Um, oh no,
2: that's not what I'm talking about. The elevator up feeling was was in conjunction with that floating feeling.
1: Right. No, I know. Yeah. Sorry. Going back two minutes. I've had that feeling too, and for me, it was because I did uh, holotropic breathing. Oh right. Where you you kind of deplete the carbon dioxide in your system. And it will uh give you this feeling of going outside your body and floating up, and it's super surreal and I felt out of my body, I felt like I was going to the heavens, and like something otherworldly and other timely is happening, and I did lose time. I wasn't aware of how long it took. yeah, do you think there could be like a physiological explanation for these experiences?
2: perhaps the phys i per- mean you know, like perhaps, but what I'm saying is that these events these kind of trippy events took place. All of them in conjunction with a UFO type experience. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. was a dream, and I'm at the point now where well, I think I said it in the talk. Where I'm at the point now where I treat reality like a dream, right? So if someone says, uh, in uh, the example I used in the in the talk was that um, uh, a guy saw a owl after crossing a bridge. Shortly thereafter, he saw a UFO. He was on an island. A year later. He sees another, another owl, it's a toy owl, uh, just right. after crossing the other right. bridge, leaving that yep. island. I remember this one. My Yeah, my homing device, my laser guided missile was on the bridge. I'm like, holy crap. Like, what more metaphoric, like, dream imagery can there be than the bridge? So, you know, that was the thing that I was all focused on was the bridge. Anyway, so
0: where was I? You, well, you were telling the story of uh, being with the UFO up on the blocks. In your brother's yep, garage, yep, and- you could get closer to it and farther away, and sort of control that. Oh, so could this feeling?
2: be? A, could this be some sort of physiological thing similar to holotrophic breathing, or maybe just a you know a-
1: confirmation bias where you're expecting it and it, your body produces that feeling again?
2: Yeah, maybe, maybe that's part of it. And I and I I struggle with this, right? So so mm-hmm. I I've said this before. I don't think I said it in the talk so clearly, but uh, between the years of 2006 when I saw the owls probably 2011, 2012, I can honestly say I spent 95% of my waking moments wondering if I had gone insane. And I used that other oh. 5% to wash the dishes. <laughs> oh gosh. You know, and do just normal stuff. It was torture. Yeah, that sounds rough. And I, cause I was being hit by so many synchronicities, like UFO synchronicities. And, and I will also include owl sightings. Those were the years where the owl sightings were off the map. And and one way to to think about it, and this is advice I've given to people who've talked with me, and like people are people are saying, "Listen, I am going through the same thing you're describing. What do I do? I'm freaking out." And I said, "You're if the energy you put into it, if you put frenetic energy into your own experience, it's going to reflect back frenetic energy." At a certain point, I think I just got bored with being so frantic about the, about the whole thing, hmm, and sure. just eased back a little bit, and then the. I still have synchronicities all the time, often doing, having to do with owls and UFOs, but I'm not as- You're more
0: passive about just letting them wash over you rather than seeking them?
2: Exactly, yes. I let them wash over me. I document them. I pay attention to them. I, I... There's a fellow, he's a great researcher, amazing guy, super great guy named Alan Green. And he wrote a book or edited a series of three books on synchronicity. And he says synchronicity is like a compass on the ocean. Compass on a cloudy day on the ocean. He is using synchronicity, and I feel like I'm doing it too. Like if you if you don't have a compass, you can't find your way on the ocean. So I'm using it as a as a as a way to proceed forward.
0: Okay. Well, going to your statement about reality being a dream, when you were having. Let's focus on that experience in the tent. You saw the light outside, the intense light outside the tent. You had that. It was sens- inside
2: the tent. It was inside the tent.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought it was like flooding from uh, outside. No, it, was
2: a, it was a hovering mandala inside the tent. It was a uh, circle okay. about the size of a pizza pan. Okay, somewhat gotcha. translucent. Okay, but but it was. It looked like, in all honesty, it looked like a floating hologram of a pizza pan-shaped acrylic piece of plastic, and that had a single hole in the very center interesting
0: okay. so so let's say we had planted a camera inside the tent with you at that moment. What do you think would show up on the footage? Is this something that would be visible? Is it you know is it photons that are being emitted from an object that anyone, including a camera could see, or is it something that was more uh, spiritually focused on you and your mind? This is an
2: excellent question. That whole event took place with Natasha and I waking up feeling unimaginably. Oppressive fear Hmm. both of us woke up screaming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we both describe it the same way like off the charts Unimaginable Irrational fear lasted for about 10 minutes and then click we both went to sleep It doesn't make any sense But until you look at the UFO literature and this is this is very common I didn't know that at the time. I, I know it now and then afterwards this click asleep, you know I'm floating I have the elevator up feeling I look off to the side. I see the mandala shape And then I pass through the ceiling of the tent and I I say to myself, I have to remember this. I have to remember this. I have to remember this. Mm. And at some point, that mantra, that repeated thing turns into, am I on a table? Am I on a table? Am I on a table? I have no memory of being on a table. I'm simply repeating. I made very detailed notes right after the event. Mm -hmm. And I'm simply repeating and going. And what's interesting is I go back to those notes. And those notes are oftentimes more dramatic. And I'm under telling these stories years later mm-hmm. so what uh, but, but What do you think the camera oh so if, was camera the okay, so if there was a camera in the room okay so if there's a camera in the tent you know i'm i don't know i don't know could the entire experience have been internal uh, you know what it felt like if it was an internal experience mm-hmm. like if the camera says there's nothing happened you're sleeping soundly nothing mm-hmm. happened you wake up you're scared like oh my gosh i'm scared you'll go back to sleep nothing to see on the camera what could it could have all taken place internally i will say If it took place internally, my sense, my feeling, which I can't prove, it's just a feeling, Mm -hmm. my feeling is that it would have somehow been projected in. Hmm. Like there would have been a source. Someone with a little knob and a special little like, you know, psychic disruptor mechanism was, might have been monitoring. Mm. There's a potential that I could have been laying there totally sound asleep and having a dream experience and that dream was somehow projected into my mind.
0: Ah, right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
2: Okay. So, and I, so I don't know, but I do, will say that I did wake up with a very unusual scratch.
0: Yeah. Oh, right. I was going to ask about that. And what, what do you think that is? Do you think that maybe is a surgical scar from, uh, from- Well, it
2: wasn't surgical. So the scratch itself, like it looked like a scratch, right? It looked like a single cat claw or a single rose thorn had just gone from my left shoulder down to about my belly button.
0: And what do you think that signifies? What caused that?
2: I have no idea. All I can say is that when you looked at it closely, it wasn't a scratch at all. It was tiny little raised blisters- like mm-hmm. it, like itty bitty red raised blisters. Mm-hmm. Now Natasha is a UFO researcher. She was doing UFO research in Germany. I'm a UFO researcher. We had we were cameras with us. We we're on vacation. We're taking pictures of every cactus and every you know sunset. We were burning through thousands of pictures. Mm-hmm. And I get I, a couple of days later. I take a shower and it just washes off. And both of us after it's gone go. <gasps> we should have taken a picture of it. So that psychological thing is interwoven into the UFO abduction and contact experience.
0: But, but no pet theories about what it actually is.
2: I have no idea what it might be. And Honestly, the best answer I can give is it was put there as a sign to take this experience seriously. The same way that, you know, like a, like a clue for me to... So it would, would be more difficult for me to deny that experience.
1: Hmm. Okay. All right. I mean, oh, that's
2: my sense. I don't have any proof. You ask me. That's that's. Oh, like sure. That answer. Yeah. Sure, well, sure. I just thought
0: maybe you'd think when uh, aliens opened me up, this is where they performed their incision or something. It like wasn't that.
2: an incision. It was a tiny right. raised blisters. It was. It looked like I don't know what it was. You yeah. Know, it looked like bug bites yeah
0: or no, it was uh, too perfect it was an too perfect. allergic reaction maybe to uh...
2: it could have but i would have if I had been scratched by a cactus that I had mm-hmm. an allergy to, I would have known it. It was not like a little it was it wasn't like a little thing that I could kind of huh where did this come from? It was pretty it was pretty dramatic. It was okay. a pretty big scratch. I'd mean, I been is... wearing shirt out in the sun. I would have to have taken the shirt off to scratch myself like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Is it more reasonable though, to say? an alien came and created bumps on your chest, or you forgot that you bumped into a cactus.
2: You know, I struggle with that. I s- totally struggle with that. All I can say is I have no memory of bumping into a cactus. Mm-hmm. And okay. I, th- I feel like I'm a pretty self-aware person about that thing. I know what it means to go, ouch, I sure. bumped into a cactus. I would remember I don't, that, I don't. yeah. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: I'm just so looking for the, the simplest explanation here. And I guess for me, if I saw that, I would run through a bunch of things in my mind. Oh, maybe bugs, what if you maybe had, I ran into something.
2: What if you had the sensation of floating through the ceiling of the shelter? What if, what yeah. if you had the, all the associated uh, uh, stuff with that?
1: I'm I'm pretty sure I'd have the same reaction. Cause like I said, I've had that physiological feeling. Hmm. And I feel like if I had worn, if I had woken up with something after that, I, I still think I would have been like, gosh, darn it, what I ran into. But that's me.
2: Yep. No. I mean, so yeah. So I'm I'm at a different point in my life where I've been hit so much with this stuff, um, that I, I you know, and I and I don't make any claims that I know. All I can tell mm-hmm. is the story. And my in in you asked me a question. I gave you my gut answer. Sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Fair enough. Well, do you think that this could, in a way, just be like a metaphor for searching for wonder? All these, all these sightings of owls. I feel like there's a really beautiful way to conceptualize all this, where it's like, oh, look at the human mind—we're all looking for these wonderful, meaningful moments. We all want to experience wonder, and we find it.
2: But isn't that a, a beautiful thing then?
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying.
2: Yeah. The yes. Absolutely. It could be that. And this is the challenge, isn't it? You know, Mm -hmm. this is the challenge. I'm, I'm struggling because I'm on the line. I'm on the line. I tip back and forth. You read the book. Mm -hmm. You, you must be aware that I was very cautious on how I phrase things. Yeah. Not to be dogmatic. The only thing I'm dogmatic about in that whole book is I say there is a connection between UFOs and owls. I say that straight up. I'm clear about that. Everything else is nuanced in the in the realm of of speculation, I use the term. It seems it c- could be perhaps. I'm surprised those the keys
0: are still on my keyboard. I type <laughs> them so many times. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got to stop for just a moment to remind our listeners. Yes. That there is a whole new world.
1: A whole new.
0: Of podcasts.
1: Yes. For
0: you to enjoy.
1: There are so many new, good, max fun shows and a lot of classics.
0: So when you finish listening to this episode and you're like, oh, it's going to be another week before I get to hear Ross and Gary again, Mm -hmm. guess what?
1: You could listen to this. Are you tired of trying to keep up with the news cycle? Is bad stuff happening too fast for you to process? Don't you wish there was an easy way to find out about only the most important info you need? Hi, we're Lisa. (laughs) And <laughs> Emily, why don't you try our podcast, Baby Geniuses? On each episode of our podcast, we discuss a weird Wikipedia page, such as Flatulence humor, Clamato, Catalan witches, Slippy the Microsoft Office Helper, death during consensual sex, and the talking mongoose. We ask each other stupid questions. Uh, <laughs> if you <laughs> if you got a packet with like three hundred seeds in it, what kind of plant would you choose the seeds to be? <laughs> That felt like you were assigned to ask me a question and there were certain words you weren't allowed to use. We talk about Martha Stewart, her pony, and other celebrity horse news. Ben Chunch. Every other week on Maximum Fun with Baby Geniuses.
0: geniuses To invite some more speculation on that connection between the owls and the UFOs and aliens, I wanted to look particularly at the screen memories. The idea that... Oftentimes people are looking at an alien, but the memory that they're left with is of an owl, sometimes four feet tall, you've mentioned. Yep. I guess my question is, why can't the aliens do a better job of disguising the memory? Maybe they could look like a normal-sized owl, because you mentioned they also sometimes appear as Jesus or a clown or certain other animals. Sure, uh,
2: squirrels and, and,
0: and, and, and uh, deer, yeah. Right, but they're not like four-foot Jesus or anything like that. So why are these screen memories the wrong size? Is it because they want to? Are they leaving a little wink and a nudge in your memory, like, ah, this isn't quite right?
1: The owls are not what they seem.
0: Or, <laughs> or are they just not that great at uh, fully disguising our memories? That is a great question, and I've I've
2: pondered that myself, and I I don't have an answer. So if these aliens are all magnificent, I'd be left with a with a scar. Why would I have felt fear? Why all didn't right. they just knock me out and have I have no memory at all? And why but boots? I have,
0: why would the owl wear boots? <laughs> why would
2: the owl wear boots? Yeah. So when 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 there's very it's interesting because there's very few reports of of boots that I remember. Oftentimes these uniforms that the aliens are wearing are more like um, old Dr. Denton pajamas, which are all just one (laughs) piece uniforms. So I, this is, so you asked a great question. Could it be there as some sort of trigger so that the observer is struck by something that they have to decipher? But my, the premise of the book and the premise of the talk is that I was confronted with things in the, and if people want to hear about this, well, no, we don't have enough time to talk about all this stuff, but my my confirmation experience was a set of events that I feel like offered me clues, and I was the only one who would have had the experience and had the been able to decipher these clues. Where it was dealing with maps, which I make maps. I had a psychic vision of a map. I'm being mm-hmm. very, very cut and dry here. I mean, to mm-hmm. tell these stories correctly, I, you know, I, I have to say, like, oh my god, I had a psychic vision of a map. It was weird. Right but now, it's a, I'm just blowing right through this. I had a psychic vision of a map. I had to decipher that map. Three connected I had points to, map. The three dots on a on a straight line going through southern Utah. Yeah. And I'll what's Ben Mesnick? What's who's the fellow who wrote the big hot uh, UFO book about called the thirty seventh parallel?
0: Oh I haven't read that one. Oh no. Yeah,
2: you know, that all took place. Those three lines, you line them up, that's the thirty seventh parallel. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about that until after the book came out. So yeah, um that's right. That's kind of a little afterthought, and that's where those
1: know. three points intersect. Is that the idea?
2: Well, the three points make a—it's an east-west line, it's, so that's a parallel on the on the globe. Yeah, it's right, roughly the, okay. the 38th, latitude, uh, the thirty-seventh. Oh, yeah, the oh, latitude. Of course. Yeah, right. Okay. The parallel. Yeah, the other ones aren't parallel because they cross at the top of gotcha. the north and south pole. So, so that was a sort of an aside. I feel like I'm trying to I'm trying to like I feel like a. Uh, <laughs> A defense attorney, like That's you know, okay, like, no need yeah, to sure. a defense <laughs> <attorney>. <laughs> in the courtroom with the prosecuting attorneys, like <laughs> kind of. Oh yes, yeah, so I yes, you made an excellent point. Very much, these events, these four foot tall owls could be put there specifically so people say I saw an owl, but it was a four foot tall owl. That that quandary, that Zen Cohen. The person, the observer, is confronted with something that's irrational, the same way as Zen Cohen is. They have to mull that over. They have to wrestle with that ambiguity, which I think is an important human experience.
1: Hmm. So is it kind of like when a parent still does the Santa Claus charade, but maybe they make it very obvious that Santa's handwriting is a lot like theirs, just to see if the kid figures it out?
2: Perhaps. Perhaps. The kid's going to figure it out. Right. Kid's going to figure out there's going to be a day when he graduates from being, and that's kind of my, I often think about that as far as in the UFO lore, you know, like people say, oh, the aliens are from the Pleiades, you know, like, well, Santa Claus is from the North Pole, right? (laughs) So that's, and I can prove that, right? Because I can go to books. I can say Santa Claus lives in the North Pole. They might be from the kids section, right? You can send a letter and address it to Santa Claus, North Pole, mm-hmm. it doesn't get returned.
0: Well, what do you think of other theories about aliens? Because uh, you've talked mostly about the gray aliens. You just spoke with Whitley earlier today. He has a belief in a very specific race of blue aliens, and uh, we've heard of many other different races and kind of an intergalactic consortium of alien species. How do you feel about all of that?
2: This is You go to the time machine and go back to... Ancient Greece and and there's these learned scholars and they have these scrolls and they talk all about the pantheon of the gods. And they talk about these gods and this gods and the meaning of this god and where this god comes from. And the, the, this god came from the Mediterranean. This god comes from the sky. This god comes from the story, the forest. This god comes mm-hmm. from Mount Olympus. You go to the top of Mount Olympus, there's, there's going to be nothing there. I have a feeling if we looked through a telescope at the Pleiades, a really good telescope, and we could zoom right in onto the planet we wouldn't be seeing tall angelic beings. I'm saying this is this is now my my interpretation of okay. swimming in these waters, we are being confronted with a mythic set of archetypes. Uh-huh. Lizards, okay. angels, it's, leprechauns.
0: But, uh, they're showing up so these don't necessarily correspond to real flesh and blood creatures that we could touch or grab or chase or put under a microscope they are thoughts and ideas and patterns and dreams this is where it gets murky
2: right because there's i mean people have i know someone who has a blood stain in the shape of a giant reptile hand Mm. on their uh, that they woke up on their bed that was on their bed sheet you know so there's i know people who have put out tinfoil around their bed they were scared Uh uh-huh and in that tinfoil they had giant reptile feet. I know someone who saw, woke up, saw a gray alien in the middle of the night, he walked out of the room and he touched the wall. This guy took a sawzall, cut out the drywall, carried it into a laboratory, and examined that drywall under a black light and found this four fingered handprint. I'm Kay. yes, so these I mean, things these make things a are manifesting. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I, can't, I can't speak to the validity of what truly happened. I can only share the stories. Mm-hmm. There's an old-time nuts-and-bolts researcher, and he documented these landings. Someone would say, oh, this UFO landed in my yard, and it had four little landing pods. It landed on four little struts, and he would go out and measure them and they would be all the same size. They would be the same distance apart. They would be the same size. A physical piece of evidence, a little indentation in the yard, something heavy landed there, pushed the ground down. There's a way to test the weight of this thing. I'm I'm out of my can here as far as knowing exactly mm-hmm. the details of this, but they were remarkable. Someone in Ohio, someone in New Jersey, someone in Texas, they're all getting the same markings in their lawn. Something can appear physically. There's mm-hmm. a physical aspect to this as well as a mythological aspect to it. So we're confronted with a genuine mystery. Uh, it, they very well may be aliens flying on a flying saucer from the Pleiades landing in people's yards and then interacting with them in some foggy, nebulous way. That may be exactly what is happening. That is an assumption. I can't say that's truly, we don't know that for certain. Certainly that's what they say. People mm-hmm. say to the aliens, where are you from? And they say, we're from the Pleiades. Uh, you, go to the, you go to the shopping mall. You walk up to Santa Mm -hmm. Claus. Santa Claus, where are you from? It's like, oh, I'm from the North Pole. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make it true. Uh, What about,
0: uh, for example, we encountered Stephen Greer. He speaks at a lot of these conferences. And (laughs) he'll say, (laughs) that got a reaction. He'll say, like, all of these sightings and the imprints and stuff, that's all the government. And they have this technology and they're using it to kind of mess with us and implant these ideas.
2: Yep, he sure does say that. You know, so that's a busy government. Let me tell you, that is one busy government because I made a little joke in the talk. I said, you want proof of this? You want proof this is real? Look at my email inbox, you know? So Mm -hmm. the government, they gotta be some busy little bees to be out there and filling my email inbox as well as every other UFO researcher's email inbox. There's too much going on, in my opinion, for Mm. the government to be doing all this
1: So that's a theory that's a little too out there for you.
2: Well, I certainly think there's government influence. My sense is that there's, for instance, in the book I wrote an essay about drones. This woman had powerful seeing drones. It's a very complex story. Um, it's hard to tell. It was actually very hard to write. So there's like technology that's right there. You can like look it up in in the li- the available literature and like what's going on in uh, conferences and what do you call it the trade shows, military trade shows. There's companies building drones. There's the government buying drones, and Mm -hmm. they look pretty weird. They do not look like a helicopter. They do not look like an airplane. They're flying around. The $39 ones you get at Toys R Us look weird. They fly around like a little, you know, they hover with an eerie smoothness. People are reporting, I suspect that a vast number of the present day, you go back 100 years, it doesn't count, right, because there were no drones. Present day UFO reports are a mess because there are so many man-made objects that can mimic what we once would have called UFOs. Yeah, 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 now yeah that again. puts
1: the U right in UFO. All it has to be is unidentified, right?
2: Yeah, exactly. So yes, it's a UFO. In fact, it's unidentified, though, though the source... Might not be Zeta Reticuli. The source may be, right.
0: uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Toys uh, R Us. The
2: Toys R Us, or, or you know, if you want to get more elaborate, you know, the, I mean, there's military applications for these, and I understand that. Mm-hmm. I understand why they'd want to keep it secret. So yes, so I think that there's the military aspect of the UFO issue is a is its own mess, and I'm certain that there's it's muddled and mixed up.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, are there any theories that are too far out there for you in the UFO community?
2: I have a real hard time with uh, David Wilcock and and what's mm-hmm. his buddy's name on on Gaia TV. Uh, yeah. we're
1: we definitely with, know, David. We know David. We know David. Yeah, I'm not sure who the other guy. Oh, do you
0: know are. him personally? No, 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 no but we've, but we've okay, seen, we've his we've seen him. Yeah, so. We've seen him at a conference in California. Okay, we reported on him too.
2: Yeah, I'm very I'm very dubious of some of his claims. You know, he's a great presenter. He's a skilled orator. He's a dynamic presence. A charismatic. Mm-hmm presence but that doesn't make it true
0: yeah we're right there with you
1: yeah so yeah. but what about that strikes you what gets your skeptical haunches up
2: there you know honestly he's just because he's just got too much of it you know like how does how do you you know like he's saying too much it's one two three four we've just done it's 12 one oh excuse me it's 12 34 so one hour 12 minutes and 34 seconds just passed my time clock there on the Oh. Thing, so I was watching it. I was kind of. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't. I mean, I just. I think it's. He's just. It's too tidy. It's like it's too wonderful. His presentations. That's hmm. my. That's my concern. Tidy oh. is
1: not what I would have called David Wilcock.
2: <laughs> it's. It's a mess when you try to. You know, when you try to make sense of it. You know. Mm-hmm. You, but but his. You know, he's capable of. He's a good pitchman. Mm-hmm. For something can that I'm not going to buy
0: but you know listening to him back to back with someone like Stephen Greer only one of them can be right they can't both be right they can both be wrong though Yes, that's right. That's true.
2: So that's so, uh, yeah. So uh, here's my Stephen Greer story. I was I was I was at a conference and I was talking with a UFO researcher or a cropsicle researcher, Colin Andrews. Colin was close friends with Stephen Greer. I don't think I'm saying anything out of sorts here. I've talked to many old time researchers and I brought up Stephen Greer and they all say, you know, he was a real dynamic character back in the day and he was really fighting the good fight and. And they all imply like something happened, whether he went off the deep end or he just got too involved in his own ego or something. I am not saying anything that isn't like openly talked about in right. UFO circles. So. Yeah. And Colin Andrews is an old friend of of Stephen Greer's, and he mm-hmm. they had a UFO conference. I'm talking with Colin Andrews. Colin looks over my shoulder. Just before he looks over my shoulder, I go, I, I like we're outside in a little. I get a little. uh tickle in the back of my throat. And I watch this little bug and he like looks at me and Collins kind of laughs. He said, I just watched a mosquito. He's English mosquito go into your throat there. So I hear him look over my shoulder. He says, Stephen. And he looks and Stephen Greer walks up and he introduces me and I can't speak. I'm totally mute. Oh, I'm absolutely 100% mute. What? Stephen Greer is standing there. We talks the most banal, kind of like, well, my flight was a little late. I got to check into the hotel. I'm going to walk up to my room. We should get together. Yeah, let's, you know, so he's talking to, I'm completely excluded from the conversation. I can't talk. And then he walks away and I go, <coughs> and I watch a little teeny dot of a mosquito shoot out of my cough and I have my voice back.
1: Oh. Uh-huh.
0: So what do you think was going on?
2: Uh, that one, I'm, that's, uh, there's, it felt so funny i like i was not gonna like tell stephen greer to his face like he's a big fat you know show off or something like that i wouldn't have said that
0: that wasn't stephen greer exercising power over you through this mosquito this was something no, I don't think so. I something don't think was else stopping you from through. speaking to him
2: yes there was a little mosquito that stopped me it could have been nothing other than a coincidence so are but-
1: you opening your mouth and trying to speak
2: yeah. It was and like a Were little, they like reacting
1: a... to that? I feel like if I saw No, someone... I was
2: polite enough to realize like, uh oh, I would have you know, I would have I wasn't choking, so I didn't have to uh-huh. like you know I was breathing fine. Uh-huh. So that has never happened to me ever. Hmm. And it before happened, or since it lasted all of three minutes maybe? and then it interesting. was interesting. Stephen Greer's presence. I don't know what to make of it. Hmm. Wow. It's a funny story. That's what I can make of it. Okay. I have a funny story.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, one other question, just by way of follow-up from things I think you'd mentioned in, in your presentation and in the book, you talked about, I think, a couple people who had had downloads where they felt like they had received really important, deep information before... Or after near an owl siding, uh, yep. but and they said they would find out at a later date, kind of yep. what that meant. Have you ever heard back on any of those accounts? What those downloads? Well, Andrea
2: is right downstairs, and she doesn't know. She's she's right here. She had that you're talking about Andrea's experience. with yeah. this woman named Jessica. I haven't followed up with Jessica, but I will tell you that this is straight out of the UFO literature. That people will be in the presence of an alien, and they'll be like. <gasps> I just got to download. And then they'll say, what was it? And they say, I don't
0: know. They'll have the sense of profundity, but... N- they'll have the sense of... But without the the content of that profundity.
2: Absolutely. That is consistent. And this is also something consistent where the sense of mission. It's right. You go to a UFO questionnaire. You can look these up online. There's dozens of them. I went through a kind of a crazy, obsessive phase where I downloaded all these. I wanted to put them on a spreadsheet. and It was too mammoth of a project. And compare and contrast, all every UFO researcher, here, take my little questionnaire. So you got dozens of UFO researchers researching abduction in particular, and here's my questionnaire. Just fill this out. It's usually about twenty questions. Some of them are hundreds of questions. One of the questions shows up on all of them. Do you have a sense of mission? Hmm. And this is this you talk to people who've had the UFO contact experience. You ask them this. This hmm. is I'm serious. You ask them like, hey, just on a scale of one to ten, what's your sense of mission? The question the answer I get most often they'll kind of like squint there or kind of scrunch up their face and go oh, um, uh, can I say 11 <laughs> mm-hmm. and then I said what's your mission supposed to be and I'm like I don't know so there's this crazy urgency that comes and maybe there's crazy urgency that comes with schizophrenia or other types of mental illness so so I'm open and aware to that of that but all I can say is that within the UFO sort of circus of people who had these experiences, there's a sense of urgency, there's a sense of mission mm-hmm. that feels strong and they don't know the source.
1: Have you compared that to people outside the UFO community?
2: What's your sense of mission? On
1: mm-hmm. a scale
2: of one to 10, what's your sense of mission?
1: Oh, You know, as soon as you said that, I thought like, well, I would give that a really high rating. Yeah.
0: I'll like say a, nine.
1: Yeah, 10, 11, oh. I mean, yeah. Oh,
0: right on. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah, so yeah, I mean, don't you think that like most people probably feel like they're here for a reason?
2: I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I'm I'm in my own little bubble. I'm like I'm as like don't listen to me in the sense of like you know whether this is true or not. You know, all I'm saying is that this is I'm looking for the patterns. I'm stuck in my own little bubble, right? You know, so yes, you can mm-hmm. you could dismiss my Cullen easy just because I'm so quirky and obsessive about my own research.
1: Well, I'm not asking it to dismiss you. I'm asking it to understand where you're coming Perhaps, from. And, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've
2: never done it. So the question was, have I ever done an outside thing like a control group, and I haven't. Okay. Mm. okay. Fair enough. And well, some researchers have though. I will say some researchers have. And I would that would be an interesting one to talk about.
0: Yeah, totally. And I well I
2: don't have the answer right off the bat. But fair enough.
0: We appreciate you coming on our show and being a, a good a really interlocutor. Good yeah, yeah, and a good sport and uh and being generous with your time. We also wanted to tell our listeners that uh we've agreed with Mike, he's gonna send us 20 copies of his book. Signed. That we're going to buy from him. And we want to give them to you, the listeners. Uh, and I'm going to ask one thing, just that, that you enter this contest if you do really want to read the book. Yeah. That'd be my one proviso. And what we're going to do is we're going to have anybody submit, say, uh, a poem. A poem
1: how about a piece of art
0: a piece of art and that could be a poem or a piece of art showing your passion for owls or maybe something related to this conversation yeah and uh, could be and-
1: a haiku could be a painting could be a short story whatever
0: and uh, so what we'll do is after this interview comes out, we'll put up a thread on Facebook, send us your artwork, and uh, we'll we'll take our time. So you don't need to do it right away, but uh, we'll announce the deadline. And we'll look through those in kind of, in our own subjective way, uh, choose the winners. We'll send out 20 copies.
1: And if you don't have Facebook, you can send them to info at
2: onopodcast.com.
0: Warning, I may borrow one of those copies first to read it.
2: <laughs> hey, so I could send you, we'll talk about this afterwards, but I could send you a mix of the first book, which came out a couple of years ago, which you have, The Big Blue Book.
0: Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah.
2: And then and then the new book which is green. Okay. Yeah, so
1: do you feel like people need to have read the first one to appreciate the second one?
2: No. No, you can read okay. them in either order. Okay. And uh, but they do companion. Yes, they're mm-hmm. nice companions. Yeah, they
1: complement <laughs> each other.
0: Fit next to you each other on read the them
2: shelf. In any order.
1: Okay, yeah, you know, say Hey, us. here's
2: now what I'm going to ask you. This is yeah. now I'm going to be this is
0: I'm going to hold you to the fire. Okay. Good. Do it. What'd you think of the book?
1: Well, Ross read the whole thing. I've read probably a hundred pages.
0: okay? I appreciated the unpacking of the ideas and I think I came away I came away feeling as we've discussed in our conversation that you have a different threshold of significance that you'll apply to certain inputs. And yeah, i I thought it was entertaining and interesting. I, I would say my only critiques were just that certain, inputs were allowed into the narrative that i would have been dismissive of uh more or more dismissive of say like you know the person who did the audio masking back masking.
2: oh oh that guy's great though that i like that guy okay i'm this guy's a wonderful guy and he takes it very seriously so you know what i would say is go do a session with with wayne nicholson
0: oh gladly where's he where's he located
2: in upstate New York, yeah. Okay, So, all actually right. fairly close by to me, yes.
1: I find all your oh, keep,
2: work. I, I'll, I'll remain silent, but yes, Wayne Nicholson is a marvelous, marvelous fellow, and he is way out there on their edge, and at the same time, he is so grounded in the way he approaches it, so, and that's my, that's my opinion, but- Sure. You should have him on the show. Do a session with
0: him. Oh, we'd gladly do a session with him.
2: I don't think so I would So, ha- what you would have to do yet. is then- I do a reverse speech analysis. So what so.
0: what he'll do is he'll have a conversation with you and he'll ask you specific questions. He'll just say, questions. "Talk,
2: go ahead, talk, keep talking." What do you think about this? And he's a he's a, he's he's partially a therapist. You can hear that in his voice.
0: And then he analyzes those recordings and he'll play sections of audio backwards uh, and find uh, hidden messages in what you've said. Oh, like you Paul said, "Paul
1: is dead" kind of situation. Right?
0: You said forward. Exactly. I, I find myself in the woods often, and then when you play that backwards, he'll say, "Ah, you were saying the owls are listening."
1: Ah, uh, okay, got it, got it, got it.
0: Was that
2: in there? I don't think that was
0: in there. That is me making up an example. Yeah, of that's close. The sort though. of. Thing. That's
2: close, though. Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, I find all your work really charming, Mike. Uh, I guess the sense I keep getting is that, in a sense, you want to have it both ways a little bit. Like, here are all these theories, but if you nail me down on the theories, I didn't really mean them. So that would be my one critique. But it's so. I mean, it's so charming, and like. Like I said, I see it as this just sort of human search for wonder, and mm-hmm. when I see people looking for wonder and finding it, to me that's a really heartening, lovely thing. So that's that's the lens through which I see all your work.
0: And we'd both heartily agree that you're an earnest guy. You're telling the truth. You're not out to deceive or pull the wool over anybody. You're just seeing the world the way you do. Or the feathers. I I might come up with different explanations for the things you encounter, uh, but it's fascinating to hear your explanations. Fair enough.
2: I, as I said before, the only thing I said with absolute concrete declaration in the book is that there is some connection between UFOs and owls. Mm-hmm. Beyond that, it is all a form of speculation.
1: Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Even that's a big claim, though.
2: I feel it in my bones, having been <laughs> immersed in it this much. So I right. feel strongly. I got no problem making that
1: claim. <laughs> okay. Good. Well, that's it for our show. Our thanks to Mike Cullen for joining us.
0: Yes, thank you so much. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer.
1: You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash ONRAC, O-N-R-A-C. And that's also where you can submit for our book giveaway.
0: Yeah. You can also follow us on Twitter if you like birds. (laughs) And uh, we are Oh No Podcast there.
1: Yeah. And remember.
2: So after all my
0: time doing this,
2: I have been obsessively focused on things at the outer edge. What I have found is that... It's good energy spent stepping off the main path it's it's a powerful experience to step off the path and into the darkest part of the forest where there is no trail for me that has been enormously enormously rewarding and my life is different now uh, I when I started this stuff i I didn't I was kind of in a panic about it i I wrote in one essay somewhere along the lines, I said, the owls pushed me off a cliff. And someone kind of like was helping with text and stuff. And she kind of said, "Um, isn't that a little heavy handed? Like, do you really want to say that? I'm like, yes, I really want to say that. So the owls pushed me off a cliff. My direct owl experiences left me adrift. The normal stuff that was all my world i had to i had to i had to swim beyond that into the deeper waters and it has been challenging but also in a wonderful way it has been extremely rewarding
0: Hey, Helen Hong.
1: Yes, J. Keith
2: Van Stratton? What's the difference between a layover and a stopover? I have no idea.
1: What's the difference between optimal and optimum?
2: I have no idea. What's the difference between an actual conversation and a promo for our new show on Maximum Fun? Go fact yourself.
1: Nobody has any idea. Go Fact Yourself, the game show with celebrity contestants, super smart experts, and answers to questions you've never even asked. Listen twice a month on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And be in the audience for our tapings of Go Fact Yourself in downtown L.A. It's free. Go to GoFactYourPod.com for more info. We're having a very realistic conversation. Yes, we are.
2: MaximumFun.org
0: Comedy and culture. Artist owned.
2: Listener supported.